Hey everybody, welcome to Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I really want to thank you for listening. If you feel compelled to do so, make sure you subscribe, uh, leave a review, comment, share, whatever you feel like doing. Help me out trying to grow this podcast, trying to continuously deliver value. A couple of things before we get into the show, check out the links in the show notes to my CRA Academy my CRC Academy, both of them doing very well as far as getting people jobs in the marketplace. Check those out. Also, if you need help getting studies for your site or anything else, or even launching a site, basically any help for your site, we have a low monthly fee consulting service where we have helped many clients become and continue to be successful site owners through our background efforts of business development and support staff text me 949-415-6256 please check out the links in the show notes as well for the book the comprehensive guide to clinical research it's been selling really well getting very well received by the community thank you guys so much for that also check out the youtube member page join this channel to get perks that's my youtube uh, membership it's 10 bucks a month you get a monthly mastermind exclusively it's a zoom call every month with other youtube members uh, you also get weekly videos exclusive to the youtube members on how to use social media to improve your opportunities in life sciences so check that out really means a lot to me and thank you so much again for listening and enjoy the show. Guru Nation, welcome back to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. This one is a little bit different. Maybe it's going to be a little controversial, although it shouldn't. Um, we've got Dr. Brian Tyson on, owner at All Valley Urgent Care, in not too far from me, in Imperial, California, um, El Centro, and he's got other locations uh, so maybe part two, we're going to do in person, uh, Dr. Tyson and, uh, Dr. Tyson's written a book overcoming COVID darkness. The link is underneath the show notes. I have not read it. I was not aware he wrote the book. Um, it's crazy because I've been reading Dr. Hazen's book, nothing to do with COVID really, but if you really look into it, a little bit to do with COVID because microbiome, she believes microbiomes responsible for a lot of the potential treatments. Um, but Dr. Tyson, can you show the book? Can you hold up the book uh, and kind of explain a little bit about why you wrote it and when it came out? And I'll have the link underneath for people. I think that's a good starting point to have this conversation. Yeah. So um, we wrote the book, being a, a colleague of mine, Dr. Fareed. Um, because we've been treating COVID-19 since the beginning of the outbreak out here in the Imperial County, which was back in uh, March of 2020. Um, we used uh, clinical data, some research, uh, what was happening with uh, Dieter Rao out of France, what was going on with uh, Dr. Zelenko in New York. Um, I had a, a friend of mine and a music manager, uh, Gary Salzman, had uh, unfortunately passed away from COVID in New York. And it was really a result of not being able to get early treatment to him. Uh, there was that whole time where if you're not sick enough to go to the hospital, they sent you away. Uh, they weren't even testing people who were sick to even decide if you had COVID or not. 
Um, then if you did test positive, they sent you home for 14 days at that time and told you come back when you can't breathe. By the time patients came back, they ended up on ventilators and the mortality rate was just insane. Right. Um, so me and Dr. Fareed decided um, we weren't going to uh, put up with that uh, you know, narrative. And we decided that uh, we got together, we looked at a treatment protocol and we started using the treatment protocol. Um, that protocol consisted of hydroxychloroquine, Zithromax and zinc, as well as vitamin D, vitamin C, uh, and, and acetylcysteine. Uh, we later added ivermectin to, to that later on in the year when we found out that the ivermectin studies were pretty beneficial. Um, and so that led to a high, high success rate. Um, in May of 2020, I think we broke about 1,600 positive patients without a single person passing away. So I went on KUSI News San Diego, broke the story, said, hey, we have a treatment for COVID. And they try to pass it off as, oh, the doctor claims he's got a cure for COVID. No, no, I have a cure for COVID. I have a treatment for COVID. Um, if you're sick, this seems to be working. Um, and it seems to be working very well, especially if started early. Uh, we all know, um, looking at even just influenza, that if you want to take Tamiflu, you got to take it in the first three days, right? You want to get it when viral replication is first starting to prevent the viral load, which prevents the bad outcomes, okay? That's natural uh, physiology of viruses and infections. So we knew coronavirus was going to be a problem. We knew coronavirus was a highly inflammatory process. Why? Because in 2003, we had the first SARS outbreak. So when you look at the research and you look at everything about coronavirus, the spike protein is the pathogen. It causes lots of inflammation, causes micro uh, thromboembolisms. It causes uh, problems with breathing, causes patients to go into what we call acute respiratory distress syndrome. Uh, bottom line, it causes you where you, you can't breathe, okay? And you end up with a lot of inflammation in the lungs, um, which you can actually see on chest x-ray. So I was one of the first doctors to be able to diagnose COVID-19 on chest x-ray. Again, why? Because I didn't take the telemedicine approach. I took the hands-on approach. Um, we saw all of our patients face-to-face. -face. We put a big uh, carport in the parking lot, and we were the first test and treat site in America. Was, is this at All Valley Urgent Care? Valley Urgent Care, yep, in, in El Centro. So we- So that we, is your private practice, right? You don't have outside is, of the urgent care, you don't have a, like an office where people come, that's the place where people- come. That's the place, that's where everybody came. And we were seeing three to 400 patients a day um, during the, the peaks of, of all three uh, waves, you know, from the alpha to the delta to the Omicron. Um, we, we modeled that test and treatment site. Uh, and if you look at what, what, uh, Joseph Ledepo and Dr. Or, or Dr. Joseph Ledepo and Ron DeSantis did in Florida, their test and treatment sites that was modeled after what we were doing out here in Southern California. Really? Did they, yeah. did anyone contact no, you Joe. from their, from their departments and well, yeah, I know Joe Ladapo. So I've done I've done a few interviews with Joe before he took the job. Um, he was very familiar with our work and how we designed our test and treat centers. Um, and they modeled that using the monoclonal antibodies all over Florida. Right. Uh, 
Hence, now you're starting to see test and treatment sites here in California, which, you know, is about two years too late. So we decided to, again, we, we broke the story. We were told we were, we were crazy. We were told uh, it's impossible. We were told we were stacking data. We were, you know, only using uh, people who, with, who had light disease. Who told you this? Um, like who? Who? Well, was I mean, it that... you know, so it was the newspapers, it was you know the press, it was you know uh, the Twitter uh, trolls, and and everyone else involved with, um, you know, those of us who quote went against the narrative. Um, Public health department and the state of California actually were on site for almost two years uh, using our data collection system because we were one of the highest uh, providers of COVID-19 out here. We tested a lot of patients and had a lot of positive patients. So um, we were a sentinel site for the state of California. We reported all of our data, so all of our data has been verified. Uh, we've kept a spreadsheet this whole time uh, and we still keep the spreadsheet. So that way, if ever asked by any agency, we have proof of everything that we've done, everyone that we've treated, and, and the survivability of, of, of what we've done with those treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, being a physician of almost 20 years, and Dr. Freed's been a physician, I think, probably almost 50 years now, um, you would have thought that the medical society would have been in our favor. You would think that they would have came down, looked at the clinic, and said, and, and talked to us and said, hey, what are you guys doing down here that is so good? Uh, that we could maybe model elsewhere. Um, and it was quite the opposite. It was a lot of naysayers, but the naysayers never came down to talk to me. Not one of these people have ever been to my clinic. Um, and they certainly don't talk to all the patients that we, we've we treated. Um, so that caused us to write the book. I mean, we wrote the book so we can explain our story. We can tell people firsthand uh, what was done, what we did, why we did it. Um, and that this this narrative of there is no treatment for COVID-19 um, is just nonsense. It's just absolute nonsense. Right. Um, you know, and I tell people it's not about one drug or two drugs, right? You could take hydroxychloroquine if you don't like it and throw it out. If you don't like ivermectin, well, throw that out too. But what about all of the other drugs? Okay. Even, even the experimental use drugs, Okay. The new ones, monopiravir, Paxlovid, uh, monoclonal antibodies, right? Even those drugs. Where's the discussion on that? Where's the discussion on steroids? Where's the discussion on, on aspirin? The JAMA study just came out on aspirin and said it had a 14 to 20% reduction in mortality. Just aspirin alone, right? Mm-hmm. But where's that discussion? No, there is no discussion. There's no talk about it. It's simply everything has been focused around vaccinating people and hoping that the vaccine works, right? Well, I've always said, okay, that's fine. That's one pillar. But what happens when those who are vaccinated get sick? What do they do? Right? They come to my urgent care, we give them treatment and they get better. Which is happening, right? Just as much as uh, unvaccinated. Well, well, right now it's actually happening more than unvaccinated. Why do you think um, you that know, is? You think that's like well, a... I, I think number one, a lot of people have been vaccinated, okay? Um, but it appears that the more vaccines you get, the more susceptible you are to coronavirus because of a immunosuppressive effect of the vaccine. 
That's what the data is showing. When you look at Israel, you look at Scotland, you look at Ireland, and you look at the UK. If you look at the data, you are now more likely to be infected with coronavirus after a third or fourth vaccine than those who are unvaccinated. Okay. Mm. Natural immunity is also something that nobody is still talking about. Right. If you've had the, if you've had coronavirus, i.e. myself, I had coronavirus in October of 2020. What are the chances of you being reinfected? Well, me being around thousands of COVID patients, I've yet to be reinfected. My wife, who's a nurse practitioner, uh, she's been around thousands of COVID patients. She's yet to be reinfected. My staff um, have all been around uh, COVID-19 patients. And the only person who's been reinfected are my staff who's been vaccinated. Interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Not, you know, kind of anecdotal, but at the same time, there's only two um, that, that got reinfected, and but both of them happen to have had a vaccine. The rest of the staff has not. And everybody has been infected with COVID-19. Um, and I think that that's the, the, the message, which is we're all going to get COVID-19 at some point. Facts are facts. Even President Obama, fully vaccinated, got COVID. Hillary Clinton, fully vaccinated, got COVID. Jan Psaki, right? Press secretary, fully vaccinated, COVID twice, mm. right? So I, I think it's safe to say that, yeah, people are going to get COVID-19, regardless of vaccination status. Right. So the question is, then when you get it, what do you do to treat it to make sure you prevent getting hospitalized and end up in the ICU? Right. So the discussion has been around, well, do the vaccines prevent hospitalization and death? Well, if you look at the UK data, Ireland, Scotland, the answer is no, clearly doesn't because their hospitalization rate and their death rate are higher after the third and fourth booster, especially when you look at Israel, than not. So clearly people vaccinated with the booster are still getting sick and sick enough to end up in the ICU and dying. So I still think we need to focus shift to early treatment, regardless of vaccination status. Yeah, do you, I got so many questions, but first one is, do you see that, I'm starting to see, and I'm not in that world as much as you are, I'm in clinical research, but <clears throat> I'm not necessarily in the patient treatment world. Um, certainly, I don't own a very successful urgent care company. Um, do you see that narrative starting to change? Because I am, I'm noticing the narrative starting to change a little. I mean, we are except in California where, you know, they're talking about passing mandatory vaccine vaccination to everybody uh, employed in the state of California. So in some instances, it is when you look at the, the global uh, narrative. Yeah, it is changing because I think people are realizing um, you can still get sick with these vaccines. I still don't see the early treatment uh, narrative um, because. And and I don't understand that part because there are plenty of treatments available, steroids, aspirin, anticoagulants. You know, you can still use uh, Zithromax and zinc and D3. You can still use NAC. You can still use uh, fluvoxamine. If you want to use ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, great too. If you don't, that's fine. Isn't that, I I mean, my, my thought has always been, 
well, besides the money, if you take the obvious, which is the money, take it out. But there, there's got to be ways to make a pro drug using that 503C pathway that everyone's doing now. Taking, right. uh, you know, any of those that you mentioned and like tweaking it, making it a pro drug. Isn't the concern that maybe the powers that be think, well, that requires a lot of autonomy on the individual and we don't think so highly of them. And there's not enough clinicians willing to do this. So it's easier to just tell everyone to get vaccinated. Because I think that's the reason for the lack of early treatment. I, 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 I don't see it that way. I see, I see the vaccine as being used as a tool for control. And uh, that's, I mean, because when you look, it's not just the United States. It's, it's all of the, quote, superpowers of the world getting together like i mean look what's going on in australia for example right it's it's a massive plan to vaccinate everybody and not treat anyone um it's a lockdown it's a lockdown it's a lockdown it's a vaccination it's a lockdown and in violation of civil rights violations of civil liberties forcing people to take things uh medically that are still considered experimental especially in age groups you know, five to, uh, you know, 11 year olds and 11 to 16 year olds, um, you know, pregnant women, um, using it to, to force people to, to stay employed or to stay in school. Um, I mean, we've never done this in, in history. And you have to ask yourself that question. We've never done this in history. We've never said to an adult, you have to have a child immunization schedule that allows you to work as an adult. Okay. If, you can prove immunity, then what do you need a vaccine for? Right? Right, right. I mean, if 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 I if me as a doctor want to show that I'm immune to hepatitis, I get an antibody titer, I show my work, and they say, Yeah, that's proof of your hepatitis vaccine. Great. Well, I I have antibodies to COVID-19. I show that to the hospital and they said that that's sorry, that's not good enough. You need, still need a shot in 90 days. <laughs> Um, no, not going to do that because there's risks involved with this vaccine because the risks are still, in my opinion, outweigh the benefit. If you've already had COVID look at what Florida just did with the kids, the studies in the Pfizer group of the 1400 that they looked at for two months showed only a 12% benefit to the five to 11 year old group against mild disease. Because nobody in either group, the, 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 the uh, control group or the treatment group, developed major symptoms or ended up in the hospital. Neither one. So how can you justify giving a five-year-old a vaccine that we know can cause myocarditis? We know can cause neurologic uh, problems such as transverse myelitis, okay, or seizures. Because we even had a kid here who was uh, five years old, got her vaccine, and ended up having to be flown to San Diego for uncontrollable seizures right after her vaccine. Okay, so we know there's problems, right? But yet, what would you say the number is? Like serious adverse events amongst kids? Like if you had to approximate, like one in a thousand. They're they're saying they're saying they're saying you know it's probably one in fourteen hundred. Um, to one in 5,000 um, kids, which is still, you would say, that well, that's, that's really, really low. 
but not in the fact that when you look at the CDC data that says not a single healthy child has died from COVID-19. Right. You know, so does the ends justify the means? And in the children's group, the answer is no, absolutely not. That's why the state of Florida is the first state to say we are advising against vaccinating children with uh, the mRNA shot because the risks outweigh the benefits. But by the same argument, and, and I'm with you on most of this stuff, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here. By the same argument, if, if not one kid died, not one healthy child has died from COVID-19, can't you say the same thing about the vaccine? Maybe the ones that had serious issues or deaths uh, were not healthy, actually. Like, isn't there a way to manipulate the data to, to make your argument regardless of which side you're on? Well, except, except how many of these kids are going to have long-term disabilities as a result of the right. vaccine? That's the thing that scares me, and I think most people also. Right? And, yeah. and if you don't have the safety data profiles to prove it, how do you justify mandating it? Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And that's my, my, my point. If you're the parent and you want to vaccinate your child, understanding the risks and benefits, that's fine. But the mandating it to go and continue in school, especially when you look at the college kids, okay? College kids are the healthiest of this age group, okay? And telling them they can't get their bachelor's degree or their master's degree um, because you need to take a vaccine that potentially, especially in the males, we know is highly uh inflammatory in the cardiac areas, pericarditis, mm-hmm. uh, myocarditis. Um, that, that's a risk that all parents and, and children should be able to take up with their doctor and say yes or no. Okay. If they feel their, their child is at risk, well, then take the shot if that's what they want to do. But if I feel that my, my kid is not at risk, I shouldn't be forced to do that just so my kid can complete their education. I think that's that's the slippery slope is this medical tyranny that's going on saying you have to do this regardless of knowing the outcomes or not. We're still having trouble looking at the data. Look at the VAERS data. Okay, the VAERS data is pretty astronomical um, as far as adverse reactions, including over 22,000 reported deaths from the vaccine, you know, millions of adverse reactions uh, and, and a lot of those severe adverse reactions mm. how do you justify an experiment to mandate it you know and i think that that's the question we we all should be asking you know nobody's saying don't get it nobody's saying um you know if you're high risk or you're over the age of 70 not to do that but it still needs to be a choice between you and your doctor and yeah. why the government getting involved with that right why is the government getting involved with your healthcare, my healthcare, me as a doctor being able to practice medicine or not be able to practice medicine? You know, the medical boards are going after doctors for treating sick people. Think about that. Why? I mean, I would think it would have been the opposite. They should be going after the doctors who didn't treat the sick people. <laughs> have you they know? gone after you yet? Um, I've gotten a couple of letters. Um, nothing, nothing wow. that they can pinpoint as um, a, a legitimate case, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, anonymous complaints we hear, you know, Oh, you went on OAN news and you said this, this, and this. Okay. 
Um, Lost your feet. You know, <laughs> there we go. Now you're yes. Back. It's the Sorry. powers that yeah. be. They're trying to silence you. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, I mean, there's there's those aspects of of what's going on where, you know, we have to question, do you want your medical autonomy or not? Do you as a physician who went to school, went to a, a residency program, got your board certification, have been in practice, do you want that doctor making your medical decisions? Or do you want somebody like Anthony Fauci and the CDC, uh, Rochelle Walensky, who don't practice medicine, by the way, they simply look at data and research. You want them telling you how to, how to treat your illness? Or do you want those of us who actually treat patients treating your illness? Right. You know, the, the, the NIH's job is to do research. That's their job, not to write practice guidelines, okay? The CDC's job is to collect data and report data. That's their job, not to write treatment guidelines, okay? This is the first time that I've ever been aware that the NIH director is responsible for treatment guidelines of a disease when he is not a clinician, okay? Yes, he's a doctor, but he didn't finish residency program and he does not practice medicine. So why is he deciding practice guidelines for treating sick people in the middle of a pandemic when he has not treated one single COVID-19 patient? Right. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, what about the argument? Because I am I get lost on Twitter sometimes. I shouldn't, but Twitter like sucks me in. <laughs> okay. But I get into all these, I, and I just observe, I mean, I don't argue on there but the arguments because i follow a lot of doctors who i don't know if anyone could disagree with treatments important but i follow a lot of doctors who are very pro-vaccine and they say well everyone maybe is talking about or quick to point out the vaccine aes but what about long covid aes we're not pointing out right from people who are and then so their narrative then becomes those that didn't get vaccinated, they're also going to have AEs. They may not just see them right away. Right. So my response to that is, did they get treatment or not? They would say, yeah, they get treatment at the ER. (laughs) No, actually they didn't. If you look at it, they did not get treatment. They may have gone to the ER. They may have been in the hospital, but they did not get early treatment. Okay. If you look at those who got early treatment, which is my 10,000 patients now, okay? My patients don't have long COVID. It's the sending home of patients with a diagnosis of COVID and telling them to stay home for 10 to 14 days without giving them any direction whatsoever, not even a piece of paper that says, if you can't breathe or if your pulse ox goes below this, or if your fever is persistent for three days, or if you're having severe headaches, if you're delusional, if you can't eat, if you're throwing up, if you've got severe diarrhea, nothing, nothing to guide these patients on when to go back to the hospital. Well, yes, if I told you, you would need to wait till your stage four cancer, okay, is all over your body to go get treatment, you know, then you're going to say, <laughs> You're going to say, well, 
well, yeah, but, but look, look at all the out, look at all the bad outcomes. I mean, I'm stage four and, and now I'm trying to do the treatment and it doesn't work. Well, yeah, because you waited till stage four. Well, in a, in a highly inflammatory respiratory condition, why do you want to wait until you're in acute respiratory distress syndrome to start treatment? Why are you waiting so long when we know if you get to that stage, your mortality rate is, is up to eight, was up to 80% in some places? Or should we say, hey, let's do some screening, let's start some early treatment, and let's prevent you from getting into that stage. And I bet you, you're going to see, oh, wow, we don't have this long COVID. Why? Because they got treatment, the viral load was decreased, the inflammatory process was uh, prevented and blood clotting was also prevented. So guess what? These patients don't have long COVID because they got the early treatment they deserved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was one of those people actually, when I got COVID, Dr. Hazen, shout out to her. I got COVID early. Like I got COVID 2020, um, like in the fall and she had studies going on and she put me on, she wanted to put me on ivermectin my pharmacy didn't have it. And they said, it's going to take forever to get it. So then she switched me to another protocol she had for ZPAC, ZPAC and hydroxychloroquine. And I kid mm -hmm. you not, man, like I was, I, I would have been okay, but I felt better within an hour of taking my first dose. Yep. Like within an hour, my nose started clearing up, you know, I was able to breathe. I don't think I would have actually suffered had I had like five days of COVID untreated, I would have been okay. But, you know, many others, I've seen others who... But, but see, that's the thing is you don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You don't yeah. know because I can tell you, I've seen, I've seen patients who walked in, you would think would be completely fine with COVID. You do a chest x-ray and you're like, wow. wow. You know, how long have you had COVID? Well, I've been sick for seven days. And you already start to see that inflammatory process. And you're like, I, this is somebody I would have never expected. You're not diabetic. You're not fat. You're not yeah. over you know what I mean? Um, and that was Delta. Delta gave us that that uh, attack of the healthy adult. Mm -hmm. Okay. We started to see younger, younger patients having really bad problems with it. But I but I'll tell you, it was it was getting on that early treatment, getting on steroids, budesonide. I used inhaled budesonide with a nebulizer. Okay. Nebulizer, yeah. And we saw we saw dramatic improvements in chest x-rays in just three days. I had a 36, no, take that back, 38-week pregnant woman came in, full-blown COVID, chest x-ray, full of COVID, and she's getting ready to deliver her child. I put her on three days wow. of inhaled budesonide, gave her a shot of dexamethasone to make sure that the baby's lungs were developed, and three days later, her lungs were clear, and she went into labor and delivered a healthy kid. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. But clear evidence. Start, finish, treatment. Okay. Yeah. If if people don't understand that part, I can't help you. If they don't want to understand that part, I can't help you. So here we are in April 2022. A lot of people think this is now behind us. What are your thoughts on this? Is COVID a thing of the past now, or do we well, have to I mean, worry? I, I think coronavirus is here to stay because coronavirus is always here to stay. Um, we see five other variants of coronavirus, which are just as bad. Uh, I do think it will be the upper respiratory illness that we're all seeing, which is basically the congestion, the sore throat, the headache. Um, I don't see the respiratory problems 
that we were seeing with Delta, and hopefully that will kind of stay away. Um, I do believe in the theory that, you know, if you vaccinate during a pandemic, you're going to cause mutations. So hopefully the vaccination program will basically go away, allow natural immunity to do its job. Uh, and and let, let's treat this just like any other common upper respiratory infection that, that we would normally see. Um, you know, we don't, we don't freak out when the flu comes around. Let's not freak out anymore when COVID comes around. Yeah. What? I guess as we end, and we got to do a part two. I know you only have a little bit of time left. We got to do a part two in person in El Centro. I'm not that far from you, so we have to do it, uh, Dr. Tyson. Uh, when, whenever you get a chance, let's set it up. Okay. I guess inquiring minds, being myself, would want to know why. why. Why the push for this? Um, and why not the push for early treatments? And you had. You had an answer that, you know, I hate to hear, but I mean, that's maybe you're right. <laughs> you know, you think it's something more sinister well, than. Well, I'm, I mean, I, I look at it like this, you know, look at the whole talk about vaccine passports, right? Mm -hmm. Look at the whole talk about needing it to go to uh, a game or a restaurant, right? You know, that kind of, you know, you need it to be employed. You need it to be, um, to go on a, on an airplane. You need it to, 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 to travel across countries. It's a means to an end of control. And if you look at the bills that are going on in California today that they're discussing up in Sacramento, they want to punish those who are talking against the government. Okay, misinformation. You hear this term misinformation, right? I mean, this video might be misinformation. <laughs> right. And 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 it might be labeled as such, but is it really misinformation or is it a real discussion that that Americans should be having? Exactly. And and when when a a government such as the United States of America that has a constitution that in its constitution says we must hold our government accountable. And we must have the ability to question our government. Mm -hmm. When they want to take that right away, well, that should be a big red flag for everyone. Um, because again, do you want the government taking care of you or do you want qualified professional individuals taking care of you? In any aspect of society for that matter, whether it's medical, whether it's the school system, whether it's your job, whether it's your cars, whether it's you know your construction project. Um, you know, I mean, think about that. Is, is this a total government takeover? I mean, where does it stop? You know, if the government can tell you now how to treat a virus with no clinical expertise, well, they can tell you basically, you know, what, what they do in all communist countries, which is, you know, you can't have a podcast. You're going to go work construction. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, that's that's just the way it is. And, and so we have to we have to call to question. Those of us who call to question, who get mislabeled or, or labeled misrepresentation or misinformation or whatever it may be. Yeah, this video has 50-50 chance. <laughs> 50 yeah. But but you have you have to you have to then question why is that? Right. Why is that? Right. Because because we're talking real statistics, we're talking real patients, real life uh, experience, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm not making this up. Talk to my patients out here. Right. And I got to get the book and we got to, 
we got to talk a little bit about your research that you self-funded, right? You and Dr. Fareed basically mm-hmm. self-funded. I think maybe that'll be part two as we go like a little bit in depth on some of the research. And uh, we have a lot of doctors watching that want to do investigator initiated trials, not necessarily on COVID, but on things that they're interested in. And yeah. I think that's something that, you know, really helps science, really helps progress, really helps biotechs and pharma come out with, right. with more Absolutely. treatments. Absolutely. Um, uh, as far as your book is concerned, uh, what has been the feedback you've been getting from, from the book? Uh, reviews are amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, That's honestly, good. I mean, it's, it's the reviews have been, have been absolutely uh, amazing. Everybody who reads the book, uh, really enjoys it. Um, it's really easy to read. It's a, it's a, it's a real life story of both me and Dr. Fareed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of information in there, um, to, to raise the flags of, of just questioning what's going on. And I, and I think our, our human curiosity is to question. And when we question, we, we, we seek the truth. And once the truth is known, that truth can't be changed. Like, you know, science doesn't change. Narratives uh, change. Yeah, narratives change. And that's as an optimist, maybe the optimist in me sees or wants to see the good stuff. But I've noticed I want to see that... the good stuff, too. Let me tell you, <laughs> I, you know, I'm all for the good stuff. Um, you know, I'm taking my fight. I don't know if you know, but I am taking my fight to uh, Congress. Um, I'm actually running for the 25th district as, uh, you know, a, wow. a candidate um, because, you know, I'm, I'm going to step up and lead that fight to to, again, be able to question what's going on. Right. Uh, in- we definitely need that. Uh- you don't see the narrative change, though. I know we started. It is changing. With this the, narr- the narratives are changing. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. You know, look at look at you know they're, the the CDC is having to walk back everything. You know, and and they're saying, well, we didn't give you the information because we were afraid you were going to misinterpret it, and then we would uh. have vaccine. <laughs> right. I mean, that was said. That was the, that's per the CDC. That's what they said. You know. Um. So again, why is the government treating us like little kids? Yeah. Well, you know, we're not. I think I think they're elitists that 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 think that we don't know how to take care of ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we got to just keep keep questioning, uh, keep holding our uh, elected officials uh, accountable um, and and do the right thing. I mean, we have to do the right thing. You know, don't put all all of our eggs in one basket, because when that basket fails, then what are you left with? Here we are two years later and we still have no outpatient treatment plans. Yeah. Think about that. That's crazy. Well, part two is going to be about your self-funded research and how other doctors can do that. And we'll do that in person. I'm going to buy your book and I'll bring it to get it signed by you. And then I'll bring you mine. Uh, you, you, you already know how to do research, but this is the one we wrote, Chris and I. It's the fundamentals of how to get into the industry. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Tyson. I really appreciate it. Uh, I know you got to go. We got to do part two very soon. So got thank it. you book underneath guys in the show notes or under the video check it out all right thank you thanks dan